What's going on, everybody? Welcome to This Week Disassembled. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron Palat. This episode is a good one. We start off honoring John Lewis and C.T. Vivian. We're talking how they were giants among giants. This gets a little emotional for me, but we try to honor them as best as we can. In our next segment, we talk the housing crisis on its way due to COVID-19 and the consequences it'll bring. Then in our last segment, we talk about what's happening in Portland, Oregon, and how the Trump administration is sending in the Department of Homeland Security and how it represents fascism in its purest form. Jim goes off and is on a good one this week. All that and more on this episode of This Week Disassembled. Jim Heenahan, today is July 21st, 2020. How are you, my friend? Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Right. Kind of warm. Kind of warm here. It was 97 the other day. Oh, I thought you were talking about how metaphorically it's warm and we're all lobsters in a boiling pot of water. I thought that's well, what you dude, meant by it's warm. Dude, dude, the earth's on fire. I mean, let's let's just face it. Oh, so listen, let's let's just dive straight in. We have a really, Physically, really packed we have a really met- packed show metaphorically, today. <laughs> euphemistically, right, right. It existentially. <laughs> it's it's hot in it's every on single fire. Way. On fire. Let's dive straight into it. Before we get into our heavily, I think it's going to be a really good show, packed show. Um, let's go into our moment of disassembly last week, from last week. Um, you know, I know you wanted to clarify a little bit between infection and fatality when we were talking about the COVID, we were talking about COVID-19 last week. Jim, the floor is yours, my friend. Well, no, just very quickly, because I, w- I really want to just move on, is that I had talked about um infection rates and fatality rates and so forth based on the idea that everyone eventually gets uh infected now right now you know that is not the case but the problem is and we'll provide a link for this the there was a study that came out of spain uh that they did at the height of their spike um april 27th to may 11th two weeks where they they got 75%, I think, of households to respond. Um, that, uh, and they, in many of the places that they did this survey, the, um, it was in the hotspots of Barcelona and Madrid, a couple other places. And, and basically what they found was, um, after doing antibody tests, that only between five and 10% of the population of Spain had had the virus. And yet the hospital system was completely overwhelmed. And so, and so what I was thinking about in that is that when you listen to the lies about herd immunity, because we don't even know if we can get herd immunity with this virus yet. Okay. What there's what the, what the baseline there is 55 or 60% infection rate. Well, I made, I just made an assumption without saying like, let's assume everyone gets sick. What would that look like? But even if you take the numbers that are ri- ridiculous government wants to go by, which is like one in 20 developed symptoms and then one in 20 of them become fatalities. So that's one out of every 400 people. You can still do the math. So basically if there are 60 million kids one in 20 gets the virus, you're talking about 3 million kids, 
one in 20 will die. You can still, the, 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 it's 160, it's 150,000 kids, or no, excuse me, 15,000 kids. It's still a ton of people. It's still way too many people to be Or excuse me, us. no, it's 150,000 right. kids. It's still way so too many. It's just, even if you go by their numbers, the idea of opening schools is simply ridiculous. It's just insanity. It and is, that, I just wanted to clarify that. No, no, it's completely ridiculous, completely insane. 15,000, 150,000, way too many when we can be preventing this in whatever measures that we should have set three or four months ago. You know, Los Angeles is headed for the, for a second shutdown, one of the largest cities in the country. Orange County has become the biggest hotspot in California when we know that they are an active community that is, you know, you know, fighting this as much as they can. So it is, um, we are, you know, I talked to Greg Williams yesterday. I just want to say this, you know, you and I both know Greg from our days at upstate and, uh, you know, I felt really terrible because, you know, he called to see how I was and I just laid in for like 30 minutes. I did half of the (laughs) podcast with him yesterday, Jim. I mean, just, just, it's just, it's a lot. So I'm glad we got to clarify that. I don't want to just like pass it on, but I do want to move on because we have a lot in this show that a yeah, lot that's and, really good. And there is another, another thing that we want to revisit, but we we're going to do that um, as part of the, the next segment. But we talked a lot about if, you know, what um, our leaders, so-called leaders in government are afraid of. Why are they trying to force kids back to school? Why are they trying to get people back to work? And, and um, we didn't weren't super clear about what some of those reasons are. And so um, although we are, you know, sort of doing this in that last week, December, we're going to address that in the next. Well, I, in this you know, week. there's there's something curious that I want that I want to. You know what? We're going to get to it in a little yeah, bit. But we'll one of the things that, that we More haven't brought up a lot was uh, the president's approval ratings, disapproval ratings. I want to talk a little about that with you a little bit later, coming from 538 and Gallup. But let's move on. Um, this week, uh, you know, the last week uh, was a heavy one in many ways. Uh, felt heavier than usual in the midst of uh, everything happening in 2020. Um, we lost two giants. This country lost two giants and i don't just mean giants i mean giants among the giants jim i'm talking about people that you know were were literally living models of history in uh you know john lewis and ct vivian um i know when this happened they we both lost we lost them both uh last friday when this happened i know this this really hit you in a particular way and it's been something that over the last week has really brought me to tears on and off, on and off, uh, you know, in, in different ways that I'll explain. Um, for those that don't know John Lewis, you know, the, the one of the, uh, you know, leaders of the civil rights movement, um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't help but think about his quote in the middle of everything uh, from 2018 when he said, do not get lost in the sea of despair. Be hopeful, be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of the day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never, ever be afraid to make some noise and to get into good trouble, necessary trouble. Jim, this is the type of man that we lost. This is the type of man that spilled blood uh in selma this was one of the you know i would say uh the apostles of of martin luther king jr um tell a little bit more about who john lewis was and and the giant he was for this country yeah i mean just everybody at the i would hope would know his story now and i don't want to overshadow um 
you know, uh, Reverend Vivian also, who was just a giant. Um, but, you know, I've said for years that John Lewis was always my hero. And it isn't for, well, it's for a lot of reasons. I, I guess I think the, because you will hear me later on, probably, if you haven't picked this up yet, talk about how um, I really believe America has to change fundamentally. I think what I always loved about John Lewis was that he truly believed that, as Dr. King said, America could live up to its promise, okay? And we're going to talk about that promise a little later on. And he never faltered from that. He always believed that. And I think there's a certain strength of character that I don't possess, maybe, or that many people don't possess, that would make, that would create an individual like John Lewis, who just said, no, we're, we're, we need to trudge the road of happy destiny. We need to, we need to keep on keeping on. And then the second thing, and this is related to that, that I think has always uh, just left me speechless is the, the picture of him being beaten by a state trooper with a baton for crossing the Pettus Bridge, trying to register people to vote. It's just so uh, dumbfounding to, that they were that he was almost murdered because he was just trying to help people register to vote. And I think when I look at that picture, um, and I don't look at it often, it comes up in my newsfeed or, you know, I saw it a lot this week and I don't seek it out. Because I think when I look at that picture, I try and think about what would I have been like in that moment? And I don't believe the times that created me were clearly different than the times that created John Lewis. But I, I don't think I could have remained steadfast or peaceful. I would have fought back. And I probably would have just gotten killed that day. Yeah. I, um, I, so I think, so for me, it's that kind of strength of character that is so rare that just has to be, regardless of if you in, agree or not, uh, has to be recognized. And I think we're seeing that. I, I think the tragedy for me is that John Lewis, to his dying breath, was still fighting for the Voting Rights Act passed in 1965, for the Civil Rights Act passed in 63. He was still fighting for those things. But it also is why he has the, the strongest character of any, because he did do it his whole life. He was... 23 or 24 years old when he spoke at the Washington, 23 years old, youngest man to speak there, last living member to speak there uh, of that group. Uh, so, I, yeah, John Lewis was my hero, still is. You know, John Lewis, um, C.T. Vivian, I was watching uh, King Into the Wilderness. Yeah, that's that's some heavy stuff, too. I mean... You know what they what they came from, right? Like John Lewis, he in his own words talked about growing up as a son of a sharecropper who, um, you know, his his parents and his uncles and his aunts 
he would ask them questions about, uh, you know, why is it like this? Why do they have, um, you know, colored uh, drinking fountains and white drinking fountains? Why do they have colored bathrooms and white bathrooms, right? You know, and his answer was they, they would always say to him, don't, don't, don't make uh, trouble. Don't just go along, just survive, you know? Yeah. And, and what's fascinating is that he found a way along with so many others to, to survive and also make people recognize the injustice. And how many people did we lose along the way that weren't able to do that? Dr. King, Malcolm X, um, I, I want to, uh, I want to go back to what Huey, you pointed out. Huey, Huey Newton, right. um, Asada Shakur had to run away to Cuba. Like we lost so many. I mean, that's the other amazing thing. John Lewis found a way to, to, to make people not forget, to make people look at themselves. I want to go back without... to which I want to go back to what you pointed out about, you know, being 23, 24, 25. And I'm looking, I was watching King into the wilderness, the HBO documentary and CT Vivian who uh, was, I, I, you know, I think really gets overlooked by a lot of sort of modern sort of historians because he was like the Lieutenant from Martin Luther King. Um, you know, he worked at the, you know, Southern Christian Leadership Conference and, you know, became the national director after King died. And, you know, one of the quotes that sticks with me a lot, he said, you can turn your back on me, but you cannot turn your back upon the idea of justice. You mm. can turn your back now and you can keep your club in your hand, but you can't not beat down justice. And he says, we will register to vote because of the citizens of the United States, we have a right to do so. Do what you can do and do it well, but ask your question, is it serving the people? You know, he was a very staunch, 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 you know, advocate for nonviolence. And I was just thinking, you know, it, it, it's been heavy on my mind that John Lewis died at 80. You know, he was fighting cancer for the last three years and was hospice. C.T. Vivian, you know, passes away at 95 from natural causes. And what you just pointed out really sits with me to be 23, 24, 25, and to see all of your friends around you dying and to still be able to push on in a way that carried the torch in many ways. And beyond that, beyond the strength, you know, the average lifespan of a black man in this country is 75. And I don't know, I just was overwhelmed by C.T. Vivian. You know, he fought yeah. the good fight and he like, he got to live a life. He got yeah. to live a life that many of us aren't granted, that many of us aren't granted yeah. in this day. And many of us weren't granted in that day. And yeah. to know that there was a life met at the end with peace in a way that he lived in the most full ways, you know, I think that gets used in such a trivial way, but to make it nine, to make it a 95 through everything that he went through, well, I don't he, wasn't know, man. Grant, he wasn't he wasn't granted that. I will disagree with you a little bit. He wasn't I mean, granted that. I mean, he, I he mean, struggled for it. And, I mean, and, and, I mean, it, I just mean in the sense of just like in its most basic form to crawl to 95 is something well, I, that isn't even granted, you know? No, I, absolutely. In that sense, yes. And I think I think that he would have said, too, that, you know. You know, it's not a matter of getting granted a life a lifetime, right? You should, that is your right, according to the promise of America, right? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so that should just be yours to live out how you see fit. But the problem is that you, 
that black men live in a state of constant terror because they are terrorized by the state. And so, yeah, I mean, it is incredible. It's incredible that they they persevered in a way and and still, uh, you know, we're still with us for so long. I guess I guess we're all better for it. Uh, I've always said that John Lewis was better than all of us put together. <laughs> That's true. So. That's true. I um I just want to you know before we move on, I just want to leave that quote one more time with people from CT Vivian. Do what you can and do it well, but always ask your question: Is it serving the people? I am, um, that just resonates with me as, uh, you know, the work that I'm getting into, the work that I know that we both discuss of just working in community, um, remembering doesn't serve the people more than anything else. Um, rest in peace both to CT Vivian and John Lewis. Jim, uh, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to, you know, it's, it's as hard as possible to shift. I want to move back into uh, something happening this week because, you know, it's July 21st. We are more than three quarters of the way through the month. Uh, August is around the corner in this weird dystopian timeline when it feels like everything is flying by and everything is going by very slowly. Something happened uh, at the beginning of this month that happens every month and something is going to happen next month that happens at the beginning of every month. Um, but something's going to be a little different going into August. And I want to talk about this. It is uh, rent. Rent is due. Rent was due. Rent is going to be due. Mortgages are going to be due. And there's something uniquely happening in this country that isn't unique at all, Jim. We have been in the midst of a continual housing crisis in this country. And anybody that denies otherwise, I think, hasn't been paying attention, right? The rent is too damn high. The rent has <laughs> been too damn high for too long, right? So now we're in the middle of a pandemic. 50 million people are unemployed. And I know people, you know, people who are regular listening to this podcast or hearing these statistics i hope that you understand that it is it is a crawl up the mountain right now and the peak isn't anywhere in sight 50 million people without their jobs jim and extended unemployment is about to end at the end of this month rent is going to be due and we are going to see not only a pandemic on from a health level from a physical health level we're now going to see another type of economic health crisis that's coming among us how bad is this, Jim? Because you and I have been talking about this the last few weeks, and I think the numbers are pretty astounding for what's going to come in the next month. Yeah, I mean, we don't, I, if you are interested, I mean, it's pretty simple. If you just Google, um, you know, how many people missed their rent last month or something like that, it's just astounding. Um, the last statistic I saw, I think, was 32% of people in June miss their rent or a mortgage payment or whatever and um or we're more or we're 30 days behind or and so forth and so can I, can I can i just add some context to that because in april in april it was it was floating at 19 20% that 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 19% of americans had made no housing payment at all during the first week of the month and only 13% uh paid their rent or mortgage in 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 full like i that was in April, Jim. We're now at one third. We're now at one third. Well, I mean, there is some endogeneity there. Like if you didn't pay your rent in April, you're probably not paying it in May and June either. Um, chances are, because if you're out of work, you're, you're out of work. I mean, there's nothing you can do. Um, I think I think there's a couple of things here. I think that um, this speaks to the problem of gig economies where people don't always 
have like a traditional job where they get laid off and go collect unemployment. A lot of people are working as like subcontractors and you don't, you don't get benefits. You, they 1099 you, you got to take your own tax out. Like, you know, so there is a lot of people out of work that don't register um, as out of work or are able to collect unemployment. Getting back to the rent thing though, uh, you know, this is, something is going to have to be done or you're literally going to have families sitting on the curb across the street from the apartment that you used to live in. And uh, because, uh, you know, there is absolutely no way to catch up. The problem is that it's not just home ownership or, or rentals, home rentals, like people renting places to live. The really big number, and this is not to lessen the suffering of people, but the really big number is the commercial real estate. Because if people can't work, they can't spend money. If they don't spend money, businesses can't pay their bills. Most businesses rent their space. It's insane. And so now you're going to have commercial real estate uh, um, owners going to their banks and going, we can't repay the loan. And I don't remember if it was Bank of America or it was one of them. And forgive me, I'll try and get the uh, correct bank for you. But one of them had already set aside $10 billion anticipating mortgage default. Okay, okay. So And, and, and you just got to ask, right? Like, okay, you got $10 billion to set aside to cover your deal. How about you just forgive the loan? Okay, so, so I think it's like, really interesting you bring that up, right? Because I think about two things in this moment. One of these comes from the Atlantic that was talking about before the pandemic, half of US renters were spending 30% of their income yeah. on housing already, yeah. already. So like, we're not even talking about the riches of the rich, whatever, like think about that in its most median level and its poorest level. 30%, Jim, 30% on housing alone. We're not talking about groceries. We're not talking about full utilities. We're talking about just housing in itself. So again, I want to point out the fact that between you saying what you just said, right, about banks already anticipating, and anybody who's watched The Big Short, look, I get it. It's a movie. It is basically housing crisis for dummies. I get it. It's an adult version of Schoolhouse Rock. But the fact that people were banking on loan defaults before, and now you have banks who are already preparing or, or we're already preparing for 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 a potential disaster before the pandemic there needs to be an understanding here that this is only going to be you know again we were already in a housing crisis this is only going to be inflated yeah um and it's going to get worse like you know if you talk about if you expand this out so if let's say that there's 30 percent of the households in america are in trouble i mean you're talking about 40 million uh, households, like 30, that's a lot of people, right? Like you, you, I, I can't stress this enough. Like, uh, uh, you know, there's about 130 million households in the United States. Right. So like 30% of that is around 40 million. So, and most of those are members of the BIPOC community. Yeah. It, it disproportionately targets, uh, people of color and poor working class people. Absolutely. And, and as we always said on this podcast, it's about class race is right at the center of class right in this country so, right yeah so so yeah we're talking about this is going to be a major problem but even and it's hard to even imagine this this is kind of what we were talking about last week like the difference between me and you and a billionaire right it's it's like 
Matt exponentially more power resides with the billionaire just because of his money, right? It's the same with those of us that have to pay a mortgage or pay rent. That's a lot of money for us. These commercial real estate companies, though, these guys are the big boys, okay? They're collecting rents that are like the amount of money is beyond belief. If they fail, banks will go under. Banks go under, that's how you get the Great Depression. And there needs to be an understanding here too of, of the direction we're headed in because, you know, I live in California. I don't know what they were doing there in Massachusetts, but I know that in California that they were setting in a moratorium on evictions, not a moratorium on rent and a moratorium on evictions, right? So two unique things are happening in the midst of this that I don't think people understand. When those moratoriums are lifted, you know, say it's August 1st, you know, landlords aren't going to come to like apartment six, apartment, whatever, and say, hey, where's August rent? They're going to say, where's the last four months of rent? And if you think people couldn't pay their rent in one month, what makes you think they're going to have four months back rent, right? The other thing that I think people aren't understanding about this process is just because there was a moratorium on evictions doesn't mean that there was a pause on the process in which evictions happen. So there are landlords across this country, thousands of them that have already put in the documentation that have already started the process that on August 1st, knock, knock, knock. If you don't have that $5,000, $6,000, if you don't have that $3,000, $2,000, whatever, it's time for you to go. And guess what? I already started the paperwork. So it's time for you and your family to get up out of here. Yeah, it's, it's going to get ugly and businesses are going to fail. And, um, you know, without direct intervention by the federal government, um, this isn't if, it's when. And, and that's part of the problem is like, you know, they just printed $3 trillion, but two thirds of it went to the richest uh, corporations and organizations in the country. Ridiculous. And here's the problem with that. And I don't want to go down uh, economics Let, let's let's go here. go ahead but you but you got to understand why this is so vital the the idea of deficit deficit spending that's what deficit spending is the treasury prints money and sells their debt on uh the market and and other countries other entities buy those up sometimes they're called t-bills okay everyone's heard this those they pay interest and so people basically buy our debt, earn interest. It's like investing in a piece of land, you know, in a house, except you don't really own anything other than the paper. Okay. And, and this is sort of the capitalist model. Everyone's doing deficit spending to cover their costs for social programs, for defense spending, for the ridiculous amounts of money we spend on weaponry and so forth. Okay. Deficit spending is fine in the short term if it is done in a way that increases employment. So if you want to give $2 trillion to a corporation, that's fine, but you better have some contingencies there that say you have to rehire your workforce or you need to invest in education or you need to do these things. None of which is happening under this organization, uh, under this administration, by the way. No. What corporations did is they took that $2 trillion, bought their stock back to pump the- uh, To inflate, to inflate the, 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 the price of it. Well, yeah, because that way the New York Stock Exchange all of a sudden would come back. Right, right, right. Okay. 
the thing with them, the thing that really kills this though is here you've got these two trillion dollars that just disappears into the pockets of these corporations when people really need the help. The problem is if they had invested that money in infrastructure, you actually get more bang for your buck. It's like hitting twice. It's like getting two swings at a third strike because not only can you put contingencies on these companies to say you need to hire people, people get hired, they earn money, they spend money, they pay their rent, they pay their mortgage, they go buy things, they order pizza. The pizza place down the corner stays in business. Poor people spend their money. Okay. If that happens and you spend money on infrastructure, building roads, building bridges, fixing rail lines, doing that sort of stuff, then you increase increase economic activity, by, which is why infrastructure is so important. Next time you're on the highway, count the trucks. Listen, okay. uh, South Carolina, if anybody understands why infrastructure infrastructure is important and when it's uh, not important, <laughs> why that makes it important in general. Hey, I mean, you, you remember driving through those roads, roads of Spartanburg? You remember driving on on 77 and 85? That's right. Because And you know why? Because in 2012, I think it was, there was a ballot initiative in South Carolina to place a, I think, a, a one penny tax. Yeah. A one penny tax on income tax. Basically, I forget what it was. It added one penny to your income tax. It's really interesting. It's really interesting because, uh, you know, when I was at Upstate, uh, I was part of a, part of this group, 10 at the top or whatever, where we had to sort yeah, of create these. That. And that was one of the initiatives that I had actually brought to the table because Fort Mill, York County had done that. They, they had called yeah. it pennies for progress, except they had thrown it on sales taxes. And, you know, they it it completely changed everything in Fort Mill. I remember the the third time it was up for ballot. I don't know what changed, but everybody was like, nah, we're done with this. We are done. Exactly. They're crazy. We are and, done. And it, actually, I may be misremembering it. It may be that it was a, another penny on the sales tax. Right. I don't even remember. But it was literally one penny. Right. I was in grad school at the time, and I had an instructor who uh, uh, I took um, survey research uh, with him, survey research methods, which sounds just as amazing as as you can imagine. But he was this great guy, Dr. Uh, uh, Oldendick, Dr. Oldendick. And he had published nationally on this, like he was a, a well, a nationally renowned survey researcher. And I can remember him talking about this and going, you know, our polling showed that maybe we were 45, 55, 55 against that. That thing went down like 80% to 20. Like it wasn't even close. They would not spend one penny on infrastructure. Literally, literally would not spell one penny. I will tell you this, Jim, we don't have to rely on the people to spend a penny because Knock, knock, knock. Drink if you've ever heard me say this before. In this week's news of dystopian 2020 future, we're not relying on the government to do it. Apple is allocating more than $400 million towards affordable housing projects and homeowner assistance programs in California this year, right? So look, the company's multi-year $2.5 billion commitment to compete combat the housing crisis in the state the funding will support thousands of californians with 
and yeah. first time home buyer assistance uh, with first time home buyer assistance and the development of new affordable housing units. Knock if you've ever heard me say this before. Drink if you've ever heard me say this before. Jim, what the hell are we doing? Why are we relying on Apple, who, you know, God forbid, the biggest supervillain in the world, who has tons of cash on hand in more countries, some countries' GDP total in this, in this, in this world? Why are we relying on them with this false sense of saviorism? Why do they have $400 million stored away to help the state? Like, there, there are a lot of problems here. Why are the one? Why, why do they have that cash on hand? But B, why are we relying on them when the government should be doing this? The people should be doing this. Well, I mean, the short answer is capitalism, right? I mean, I mean, if they can I say something too? I just want to say one more thing. You know what this reminds me of? This is a bigger version of. I don't know if you remember a few years ago when Domino's said, "Hey, guess what? We're fixing potholes in your neighborhood. Take a picture." Like, like what? Why? What are we doing, Jim? Oh no, it's idiocracy, right? Like we're just gonna sell everything. You got, you got. That's that's why you got the president hawking goya beans from the presidential desk in the old. Come on! Oh my God! You got got his daughter, Cruella Deville. Oh my God! Don't disrespect Cruella Deville like that. Exactly, hawking go. Actually, Betsy DeVos is Cruella Deville. I don't know who, uh, like. Like if Ivana is like or Ivanka is like, whatever it is, Ivana was her mother. Was the mom? Uh, yeah, Ivanka is more like uh, one of the stepsisters in Cinderella. Oh, God, but she's like she's like yeah. I, we are way down. I got to finish the economic stuff, but I got to tell you this whole initiative where she's trying to do a workers and you know thing where she's like got this program called Find Something New. Like if you're an out of work, I'm like how find something new. What world are you in? What baby? does that Come mean? I, it's that it's ridiculous. I very man. much want to give the blank stare look like on the office. Anytime I see them tweet or speak, I just want to look at the camera and be like, Yeah, what, what, what are we doing? I know. It's insane. Anyway, the point with all of the infrastructure that increases it increases economic activity, more taxes, more uh benefit for everyone, creates jobs and so forth, but that's not what happened, and that is the point. They, Donald Trump essentially printed $2 trillion and gave it to the richest people in the world. That's what he did. That $2 trillion is deficit spending. It's not real, except for the fact that we're all on the hook for it, okay? Because you're basically like, your country's debt, you know, level directly affects insur- uh, like uh, interest rates and it, it directly affects how other people feel about investing in your country okay other countries it's it's there's so many ramifications that it is kafkaesque it's it's like the spider web how far this goes the, but the point is they didn't do that. They just printed money and put it in their pockets. They could have helped everyone. They still can. They decided not to, and they are not going to. Right. 
Right. The implications of this, you know, look, man, I don't want to be hyperbolic about this in any sort of way. And this is what I was saying to Greg yesterday. Look, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I'm not trying to say whatever. I mean, again, it's the reinforcement. The sky has been falling, right? Like we've already seen in sort of like the normal economy that people weren't going to their usually gentrified areas within certain cities, um, whether it's San Diego or whatever. We weren't seeing, uh, you know, interest in downtown high rises. I live in San Diego where there are tons of high rises that aren't being sold they're not being bought off you look at places one of the things that's really sam similar between san diego and new york over 60 percent of the high rises in this uh in this city are not owned by the people that live here right and that's a whole different conversation but we're now seeing even more a lack of interest in new development in these major cities that was already happening jim we are in a consistent flux it seems of the next housing crisis since 2008. The implications of this are huge, are they not? Yeah, we're gonna be in a lot of trouble if the, if, if the federal government does not get real with itself. I have no doubt that, I have so little doubt in the federal government, the people who occupy those spaces right now, their ability to completely ignore all of the signs that are telling them we are in trouble because they have been doing it now with this latest slow apocalypse. Okay. You know, for six months, they just, they have made the calculation that they are going to save the economy. They do not want to give up the real estate market. They don't want to give up the way the economy works and they are going to stand fast on that principle and they're going to base it on tradition or history and we'll make it through on and on and on. And they are, and they, and they have made that calculation that it's okay to kill. I don't know, Eric, uh, I, I, I don't know how, what three, we have 3 million teachers. Okay. Well, it's okay to infect 150,000 of them and it's okay to kill 3000 of them or something, you know, like they've made this calculation and they don't care. The cruelty um, is the point. The cruelty well, is the point. And I'm going to tell you, not, Jim. It's not by commission. I know. But it is by omission. Yes. 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 And I don't give, I don't really give a shit what Forbes or anybody says when they says, you know, like, it's not that bad yet. We are already in the midst of a fucking storm. It is coming. It is coming. Yeah. Banks were setting money aside in December <laughs> before COVID. They were anticipating a, a real estate bubble burst. They were already preparing. So uh, yeah, we're- we, well, Let's move on. I do want to say this is the last comment I want to say. Where's Elizabeth Warren? Where, where is she lately with all of her magnificent predictions of what is going to happen in the economic future? I haven't oh heard shit God. from her. Oh my God. So- You know, <laughs> yeah, let's not go down the rabbit hole. We will- All the reasons why- Elizabeth Warren is an empty suit. <laughs> Let's we're going to move on because there's something vitally important happening in this country as well. We're going to go to one of the weirdest cities in the country. And I mean that in the best way, like 
this this place is like i haven't been i have friends that go great food city let's go to portland oregon let's go to portland <laughs> oregon because uh, there is something that's happening that really isn't really isn't being covered on a national news level it's starting to but uh have you heard what's happening i mean the government is basically playing call of duty up in portland oregon right now snatching people off of the street jim we are seeing federal agents go into portland uh under the trump administration uh, and i don't just mean that like loosely these are under the executive order from donald trump on june 26 to send federal officers to the city uh to multiple cities around the country but we've seen this especially in portland do you know why jim not to do anything but to protect statues monuments and federal property i'm not exaggerating here it is that is that is literally in his executive order i mean a week before uh, a week before uh, when he was a uh, you know a week before he was at Mount Rushmore, he was talking about how if cities could not get a hold of the protesters, he was going to send people in. We talked a little bit about it in our first episode. We brought up the Insurrection Act. We brought up a few things. But now we're seeing it, Jim, and we're seeing it at a really high and dangerous level. We're seeing a civil rights, you know, we're seeing a lot of civil rights disrupted in Portland. How bad is it? Um, it's This is really bad, and we knew it was coming. Uh, this is not news for people that studied political science. Um, so a little bit of background with this. Why, uh, you know, why has, why is President Trump able to uh, send unmarked federal troops into a, an American city and detain American citizens in undisclosed locations for an indiscriminate amount of time uh, and not allow them habeas corpus. Habeas corpus, you, this stupid Latin for, um, you have a right to face a judge and have that judge review the charges against you. Basically, federal troops can detain you for however long they want, and it is perfectly legal. And here's why. This is, this is gonna illustrate the very basic problem with how legislation happens in our country and how the executive branch carries out those that legislation. So the National National Defense Authorization Act, you've heard a little bit about this and a lot of our the the wing nuts on the right like to say, well, Obama signed this into law and okay. Well, let's back up a second, okay? Anybody can get it. I just yeah, want to remind people on the podcast, anybody can get it. The National Defense Authorization Act is basically all that is is the group of laws federal laws okay that allow for um the defense the department of defense to exist now if, in case you haven't been keeping up on current events the department of defense gets a lot of cash okay so e ever since 1961 that was the first year that they did this the national defense authorization act basically is a a a budget kind of thing that every president has signed. Um, some It used to be yearly. I think it's every two years now. I'm not positive of that. But basically, every president has signed this since 1961. It's never something that they don't sign. Why? Because they're all politicians. And in their next election, the first thing that their opponent will say to them is, you didn't support the troops because you didn't sign the this authorization act it's it's nonsense okay so so 
Every president has signed it since 1961. After 9-11, George Bush and his administration and his allies in Congress started, uh, and they, this goes back before him, but especially after 9-11, started adding amendments to this that were unrelated to budgetary or expenditure issues. It's funny how that works out. Exactly. And so they basically used those amendments to get things done that they wanted done, knowing that the president politically could not veto the bill. After 9-11, they started attaching rendition rules. Those are, rendition is just a fancy word for, I can show up at your house in with, uh, in, in, with no insignia on, just like they're doing in Portland right now. I can drag you out of your house and throw you into an unmarked vehicle like they're doing in Portland right now in, in rental vehicles of no, they rented a bunch of minivans for God's sake. Okay. And I can take you to an undisclosed location and not let you contact anyone for as long as I, I was going to say for how long, Jim, how long so for as long as I want. This gave the federal government the power to detain terrorists in Guantanamo Bay indefinitely. There's still a bunch of them down there. And we can argue the politics of that some other time. But what I want to get to here is 2011. And in 2011, this bill came to President Obama. President Obama initially said he was going to veto it because he was uncomfortable with the amendments. Now, there was a number of amendments. I'm not going to go through every single one of them. This is, again, very, you can Google this and it comes right up. We will put it, we will put the information in the link as always. Basically, the amendment, the amendments that existed in the 2011 version of the National Defense Authorization Act allowed the, the executive branch, the Justice Department, Homeland Security, and all the departments down through there. So you're talking about ATF, you're talking about FBI, you're talking about ICE, you're talking about all of the, the alphabet soup of internal security forces in the United States in our democracy, because we need a lot of them apparently, okay, now have the authority to go anywhere they want. So there were no geographic limitations on this and detain anyone they want. There was no presumption involved in detainment, meaning I don't have to show probable cause. You do not have to commit a crime that I see or witness, okay? I can simply detain you. Okay, two things. First of all, Obama at the time said, I'm uncomfortable with this in the way this is going to play out in future administrations. My administration, he essentially said, my administration is not gonna do this with, you know, American citizens or whatever. We're gonna use it sparingly. Okay, thanks. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Barry, even though you escalated the drone war. That's fine. Oh, Jim. But, but anyway, Jim. I, know, I had to go there. Jim. But, but the point is, subsequent the subsequent administration saw this legal loophole where they can essentially, because of this authorization act, send federal troops to Portland, Oregon, and detain whoever they want for as long as they want. And it's perfectly legal and that and that is why we need to start talking about 
fascism. This is fascism. This is, okay, ICE coming and removing people that don't look like you or don't talk like you. Those are Gestapo tactics. That's not hyperbole. That's what the Gestapo did. Jim, I, I also want to say this too. Um, you know, I think it's really unique because I think what people may be missing right now, and I think what you're brilliantly emphasizing is how we get to these moments, right? And how these fascist movements start in the middle of moments that don't seem overly fascist, right? Like, exactly, we, exactly. We, we look who at- gonna, Who is gonna oppose rendition in 2001, man? Right, after 9-11, who is gonna look at anything in the country and say, you know, it's a really, really interesting moment because there are many people around this country that in many ways, I'm not gonna say justifiably, I, I'm empathetic to, right? Uh, when the Patriot Act comes in, everybody's saying, I will give up whatever it takes to feel safe. Right. It's really interesting to see how these how these moments start in sort of the least likely, quote, air quote, fascist moments. But looking where we are now. And I think what people need to understand why this is overly dangerous in many ways. We are seeing the Department of Homeland Security. So like you said, ICE, we're seeing Border Patrol. We are seeing, uh, you know, the 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 newest rendition of the Power Rangers, BORTAC, and anybody who doesn't understand anything about them, Border Patrol Tactical Unit. I want to read the first few sentences off of their website. The Border Patrol Tactical Unit provides an immediate response capability to emergent and high-risk incidents requiring specialized skills skills and tactics. Bortac has a cadre of full-time members headquartered in El Paso, Texas, and non-full-time members dispersed throughout the United States. The teams can be called upon to deploy immediately when needed. Jim, all of that jargon, we are seeing special units now being uh, um, uh, sent out to Portland, Oregon, remind you who are, are, are at the basis we're Black Lives Matter activists that were protesting the pr- police brutality that was happening in this country in the weeks happening after George Floyd. Jim, this is, correct me if I'm wrong here, we are seeing specialized units pushed out on American citizens who are actively using their First Amendment rights to protect property? Is that, yeah. am, am, am I getting this wrong here? Like specialized units that are used to quote unquote defend this country. And I would argue are doing that, right? They're doing that in its most essential forms, I would argue. But I mean, this is, this is, this is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's dystopian. It's not. This is scary too. I mean, I don't. It's very scary. So I want to be clear. We are not Nazis. I'm not saying that. But, but we have to separate. We live in such a dichotomous culture, and you learn this to associate fascism with Nazism. Just like people associate racist with, like, the Klan. Like, this, right. isn't, this isn't that. No. You know, National Socialism is the extreme version of fascism. It was practiced by Nazis, okay? We're not... I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is when you have a uh, extra legal uh, group of people that only answer 
to the executive. The executive branch is basically the police. So if you think about our three branches of government, you got the judicial. Okay, those are the people that decide uh, whether you broke the law or not, okay? And the legislative, they're the ones that decide what the laws are. And sometimes the judicial says, oh, that's an illegal law. Sometimes. Sometimes. The executive branch's function in this role is to carry out justice for with those laws in mind, theoretically, okay? But what we have is we have a legal document that authorizes the federal government, the police force of the United States, to simply deploy irrespective of the wishes of the civilian government. And I, Aaron, I, okay. I'm going to have to take a few minutes here and you're going to have to bear with me on this <laughs> because I, I, this is where we, I'm going to, I'm just going to tell you something Go very ahead. quickly. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So some of you are going to recognize these words. Okay. When a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them to their absolute despotism. So that is when a government acts in a way to centralize their power that results in despotism. And very quickly, despotism is the form of government in which a single entity rules with an absolute power, okay? It is the act of fascism, okay? Fascism is the authoritarian, ultra-nationalist, dictatorial power party, okay? They practiced despotism. The, the idea that the single entity of the executive can send forces to, the, to uh, Portland separate from the civilian government is very powerful. And the reason is... is because that is precisely the mythology that this country was founded on, okay? So, it absolute decimate. It is their right. It is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. Okay, so what, what uh, this is obviously part of the Declaration of Independence. What Thomas Jefferson is saying is we have an obligation when our government be becomes despotic in its behavior, when it tries to centralize power in a police force. We have the obligation to throw off those chains and to form new government that protects our freedom. And, and before... Before we move on, I just want to I just want to read a couple things here. Okay? He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained. Okay. Trump has not helped governors who have not asked properly for help with COVID. This is exactly what Thomas Jefferson wrote into the Declaration of Independence describing King George, okay? Until you asked nicely, your governor, Newsom, had to, like, thank you for your help, literally, to get this, I think it was swabs or something for testing. Right. 
Okay. He had to kiss his behind. Okay. Kiss the ring. Well, let's, yeah. Well, let, well, let's just keep going. Let's, let's see what else it says here. Um, uh, he has endeavor, excuse me. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing to assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. Okay. Well, he just pardoned Roger Stone, who was convicted by a jury of his peers, a grand jury. I think actually it might've been the judge that convicted him. You have that option of the right. jury or just the judge. Okay. Well, he essentially what Trump said was, yeah, we're not going to, I don't you know, worry we're about not gonna, that. Yeah. We're not going to, we're not going to worry about that. Okay. And he used his, the power of the presidency to obstruct justice during the investigation. And right. I honestly, I happen to think the investigation was a, a dog and pony show. That's another discussion. <laughs> but, but the fact is he did obstruct it. Right. Okay. Well, let's, that's also one of the things that uh, Thomas Jefferson wanted to bring up against um, King George. Okay. Th this doesn't, it goes on and on here um, with with some of the 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 sort of um, you know um, all of the grievances that uh, they had exactly. all the grievances He's, all the grievances, the grievances that was being stated were were not just of the moment but in many ways a a uh, a signal of be aware be aware of these one. things He's and why one. we're doing it. Thomas Jefferson said he has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. Does that seem, if you live in Portland, do you feel like maybe the federal government is waging war? Listen to me. The governor is, didn't ask. The people exactly. didn't ask. So Thomas Jefferson, after listing, a, and I, you know, we will include a link. It is very interesting to read. He says, in every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for a redress in the most humble terms. And our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. Does that not describe 2020? Does that not sound people in this country? Does that not sound like the like the very beginning? But it does not sound specifically like everything that's been going on in the last four years, Jim. Like specifically what we've seen in its strength, in the gripping of power, in all of its grievances that Thomas Jefferson has listed. I mean, again, it's like the warning signals were given to us. Aaron, a prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. That's what Thomas Jefferson said at the very beginning of the Declaration of Independence. And I want to, I want to, we got to talk about it. We're going to talk real about this. Sure. Thomas Jefferson was, was a terrible person. Problematic. He was a rapist. He was a slave owner. All of those things. Okay. I'm going to make a, a comparison here that's going to make some people uncomfortable, and I want you to take Stick a deep breath. Stick with it. Stick with us here. Okay. The Declaration of Independence was written by a hopelessly flawed person formed in hopelessly flawed times. We have talked about this at length. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to over-focus on this point, but when we're talking about people, we have got to talk about environment, okay? That does not justify his actions under any circumstances. He had Thank a you. great deal of power over people. Thank you. He wielded it with impunity, and the people that he wielded it on had absolutely no choice in how their lives played out. That is wrong. Right. But, but he wrote this document, and it is an aspirational document. He is he 
uh, clearly had read a lot of John Locke. We talked about that mm -hmm. second treatise on government. Um, John Locke is the 17th century English uh, thinker who who imagined the idea along with Montesquieu and Rousseau and some others. We're not talking about the character on Lost. We're not talking about no. him. No. <laughs> uh, okay. Setting aside the guy that wrote the Declaration of Independence, if you read those words, those are the aspirations of all peoples. Right. They're, yeah, they To be free, to be free in my person, to pursue the things that make me happy. Okay. It is, it is, it, it is similar in only that way to listening to Dr. King in 1963 say, I have a dream. Dr. King was asking America in that moment to be better than they had been. Be better. And imagine better. better. Imagine, imagine better. 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 Imagine a world where my children and your children are brothers and sisters. Right. Imagine that. Let's get there. Okay. I happen to think Dr. King had it more right than the Declaration of Independence. But you, can see, <laughs> you can see the corollary there. Right. Okay. It's aspirational. Okay. That's look. We're not. Jim is not comparing Jefferson to King. No, he is not, not saying that Jefferson was this great you know deified human the no. in its core the declaration of in, the declaration of independence is meant to be aspirational and you right. said this before you said this before before the show the similarities are there just in the sense of the declaration of independence is the aspiration the constitution is the agreement the flawed agreement yep. but it is All the right. agreement right mlk's it's M the political deal they made. Right. MLK's I Have a Dream speech is the aspiration. And the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act are the agreements, the flawed agreements, the flawed agreements that King struggled with, the flawed agreements that C.T. Vivian, you know, struggled with, the flawed agreements that John Lewis struggled with, right? There is a... Let's let's understand and judge this by the normality of the environments of which these people were participating in. The aspiration is what we have to hold on to, what we are meant to hold on to. And if we forget those, especially in the midst of now, we are we will be in even more dangerous territory than we already are. It goes back to what we said when we were opening up this podcast, Jim. The water is boiling. You know, just because we're a bunch of lobsters sitting in a pool of water and the cook keeps turning it up one degree at a time, one degree at a time, one degree at a time, just like climate change, just like all these other things, just because we're comfortable as this goes on, we are sitting in the middle of boiling hot water, Jim. We are. And, you know, as I said earlier, my hero, John Lewis, spent his lifetime fighting for the exact same things he was fighting for in 1963 and because because the movement got co-opted a bit and the politicians got involved and they started to try and strike a deal and they had to rely on a president in johnson who was from texas and like that is why that is okay let's just talk real that's the difference between you and me and liberals in this country okay I, you know, I saw a great meme on this. I'm going to paraphrase it because I'm going to get it wrong. But basically, liberals look at Trump and they go, well, he doesn't represent America. We need a new president. Oh, okay. Here's the difference. I look at Trump and I go, oh, no, he is America. Him and all his 
fascist enablers and all and and Myrtle the Turtle, leader of the Senate, <laughs> Mitch McConnell, okay? all of them. Okay, okay, Nancy Pelosi, who's like waiting to fall down dead and won't debate her. <laughs> oh my her, God, her BIPOC component <laughs> in California. Yeah. Okay, who she's enriched herself in government. Don't even get me going on Pelosi. Talk about tone deaf. Tone deaf doesn't even say it. Okay. What I'm saying, the, you know, breathe, digress, breathe, as breathe. I always do. Breathe. I know. The point is, okay, we need to, we need to hold on to the idea, no matter what the cost, that it is okay to reimagine government, to reimagine economy. It will be painful. It will be difficult. But it's not going to be more painful or difficult than what we are living through right now. And it's always we, been painful. It's always because, been difficult. It's, because that is the point. Right. Our government doesn't work except for the very rich. They, it just doesn't, Aaron. Jim. And, and enough's enough. I uh, I got you two weeks ago to similarly, uh, you know, I don't even remember what it was about. I remember teasing you saying I got you to agree with Donald Trump. This week, I got you to agree with Rand Paul. I'm going to go to a Rand yes, Paul tweet right. because yes. Rand Paul on uh, Rand Paul <laughs> on, on Monday, he says Rokey we cannot. He says, <laughs> he says we cannot give up liberty for security. Local law enforcement can and should be handling the situations in our cities, but there is no place for federal yeah. troops or, or unidentified federal agents rounding up people at will. In the notes I sent you, you know, he sends this, he includes this article, hotair.com, which, you know, you know, is oh, waving this grand flag yeah. of, you know, protect conservative journalism. But I, I sent it to you because in the midst of it, I'm reading it and there's some cold space in hell that I guess we'll all be sitting in together. Um, but these, <laughs> but these, but you know, but, but these, um, but but these conservative writers are seemingly questioning like, holy shit, what is happening right now? Can this happen? And I'm like, listen, it is a cold day in whatever parallel universe. You know, I, I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. I don't want to go down the rabbit hole here, but I don't know if anybody's seen Interstellar. It's basically about black holes and parallel universes. I just feel like cool we movie. were thrown. Cool movie. Cool movie. Cool movie. I, I like yeah. Nolan, you know, and, and yeah. uh you know, it just feels like we just went through some black hole. Why am I, why are me and these people of hotair.com, you know, seemingly asking <laughs> the same question of what the hell is going on? These are the when people, you... these are the people that are waving the don't tread on me flag. You know, these are the people that are yeah. usually screaming blue lives matter that are kind of like, holy shit, this is, this is a lot even for us. What is going on? When you have intellectual symmetry with, <laughs> Say it again. Air space. hot air hot air.com hot air.com. Air yeah, I want to make sure I get that right. <laughs> shout out to those guys, man. You are through the looking glass. Oh, when that happens, my God. And look, man, let, let, let me say this too. anything. Rand Paul says isn't worth. I couldn't. Yeah, I, I couldn't just stop. I, I, like, I could. I, yeah, I you know, I, I don't what Rand Paul says mean means nothing to me. Right. And obviously you know, the depth of whatever this means or whatever it means for his little career. I don't really give a shit. 
But the fact that he and I are uttering the same sentence and these people who probably last month were saying blue lives matter are now saying, holy shit, we kind of have a problem here. Something is wrong. And I do want to say this again, man, because, you know, anybody Bundy, you're the Bundy. They occupied a friggin' park because of federal overreach. You know, right? They yeah. wanted to shoot federal officers in Texas because they wouldn't let them. They wouldn't let them graze their cattle on public right. land. Right? Shouldn't these jackets, shouldn't they be in their duallys on their way to port? Oh shouldn't they be God. on their duallys pulling their fifth oh wheel? I just, I just got real stereotypical. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a message you from are. Honda on that one. You are. You are. I don't care. You, Shouldn't they be in their dualies oh on their way to Portland, pulling their foot fifth wheel? Oh, uh, huh? Jim, Jim, Come on. Jim. I'm telling you, man. I am. Uh, Occupy Portland. I don't. Bundy. I don't. I don't want to be hyperbolic here because Come I don't on. want people to think. Look, no disrespect. This is not positive. Oh no! I. Oh no! disrespect well no i just no what i'm about to say you know that that is all the disrespect i just mean in the sense of i don't want people i don't want people to think you know this is what i mean by no disrespect i don't want people to think that you know this is not pod save america right like we are not (laughs) we are we are not we're not angry like as an act we're not trying to be hyperbolic here in the sense of because like it brings in people and we want to like flame white neoliberalism like but i do want to say this you know this isn't this isn't for show this isn't hyperbolic in any sense jim this is dangerous and i'm not it's not not. we're making jokes but it's this is a very very big step and when the i i want to teeter totter the line here jim i'm not trying to say that i'm not trying to you know create a fallacy here in any form of a slippery slope or anything this really does feel like a litmus test jim this really does feel like a litmus test in what's happening in Portland for the look, potentiality of it happening in other places. Well, look, the administration was asked, Keith, uh, Keith uh, is it Keith, I think, or Ken Kuseni, said that uh, he's, we're going to tell you who he is. I don't remember. I'll have to look it up. I forget. But he's, he's the person that they contacted about this federal government. I, I want to say he's secretary or assistant secretary to maybe homeland security or something i don't know i can't keep them all straight anyway he said oh no uh yeah we're definitely have federal troops in portland and we're planning on rolling this out to other cities like they're, they don't even they're not even trying to hide it they're like celebrating it yeah this is what we're gonna do it's it's ridiculous ken, I, I i know ken ken Cusinelli. um oh, Cusinelli, excuse me yeah i i, I don't I don't know, Jim. I just think that, you know, this is something that I really wanted to talk about this week, something I know we both want to talk about this week, because it just seems almost insane that this isn't being spoken about on a larger level. And I'm going to say shout out to Portland. You know, look, you don't get a basic hand clap for, you know, common decency, but I'm seeing like suburban moms out. I'm seeing suburban moms out there with like their babies on. You know, they're babies carried in front of them that are like, that are, you know, Portland is going hard right now. Shout out to Portland. Well, Ken, Ken Cusinelli is the, um, he's the deputy secretary of Homeland Security, which is a huge position. Huge. And yeah, there were, yeah, moms, I forget what they were chanting out there, but they were basically like, you know, uh, stand, they were standing arm, arm in arm, some of them pregnant. Um, like just trying to form a barrier between protesting and and what did the police do? What did they do? They mace, they push, they're beating people up with batons, fired rubber bullets. I mean, just think about 
just think about what we have lost if that's where we are. Right. I, I just, I'm sorry. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. That, that is who we are. And we're just going to have to own it because, because the only way that we're going to change it is if we do own it, even if it's not our fault. I didn't choose this. I don't like this system at all, but I was born into it and I was conditioned by it. And it's taken me a long time to get to the, the point where I sort of understand it and understand that we are not going to find justice. No, it's not going to happen. It won't be given and to people, us. And people just got to get over the idea that this is some redeemable system. I am never going to speak ill of John Lewis in any possible way. And I know from the beginning when you were listening to me, I am now disagreeing with him. And I respectfully, listen, if he was standing in front of me, I would go, I give up my position and we're going to go, we're going to follow you. I would, but I, but I disagree with him on this point. I do not believe this system is redeemable. I Mm -hmm. think it needs to be fundamentally changed and it needs to happen now. Because when is it going to happen if it, if it doesn't? If it doesn't happen at all. We have, a, we, have, we have a pandemic. We have a, 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 what, a president who is fanning the flames of a race war. We have a we housing have, crisis, an economic we crisis. Have, we have climate change, which, is going, which everyone's ignoring right now because it feels like the world's on fire. But one of the reasons it's on fire is because it's actually because on fire. It's, because it's actually on fire. Um, we, you know, this is the time, this is it. This might be it. We got to get our act together here or, you know, what is, what does our future look like? Jim, I want to ask you one more question before we go into our moment of Zen and finish out this episode. Somebody asked me this last night, um, or somebody said this and then asked this to me last night. Um, you know, they, they said to me, They said, you know, 2020 has got to get better. Like it's going to get better. Right. And I, I gave an answer, but I want to ask you before I give my answer, does 2020 get better, Jim? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) As my daughter would say, uh, as my daughter frequently tells me, well, dad, you're a nihilist, but you're a hopeful nihilist. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how that's like, I Here's here's what I can say about that. There's a lot I, there too. I just want to say that. That's a that's a big is. question that doesn't have no, a, a yes or no answer to. Well, here's here's what I'll say. I get up every day and I engage in the activities I engage in in a way that I believe helps keep these issues in the forefront. And I can tell you I am sure of this and I am sad, but not sorry. I have lost friends because this is it. This is the moment. Right. And I am going to be in your face. No more murders by the state. I'm sick of it. No more. None of it. Not going to take it. I'm sick of people having to struggle even more than I do. And even more than you do. Right. To simply die penniless and in pain and suffering. I'm sick of it. Okay. I, I I don't want to live in a world where that is something that we just go along with anymore. We can be better than that. There is enough for everyone and everyone needs to take a good, honest look at our system of government 
and culture and economics and society. And they have to look at that and go, who does this really benefit? Because most of us work 40 or 50 years of our life away just to have a few years of mostly poor existence relying on other people where we don't have to work. And I'm not even talking, I'm not talking about Bangladesh, I'm talking about America. You know, these, these, these terrible people want to reopen schools. I, I had a meeting, and I'm not going to get specific, but I had a meeting the other day where I, where 83% with a colleague at a school who is an administrator, she said 83% of her parents had opted out of sending their kids to school. They were going to do online uh, connections, I think is Connections Academy is one. They're going to homeschool, they're going to do whatever. Who do you think the other 17% is? It's the people that we are killing right now. And it's, the, it's BIPOC people who die at a rate three to four times more from COVID than white people. It's the people we're forcing to go and, and serve you food at the 99. It's the people that, are, that have to go and work at Dollar General for starvation wages. It's the people that, that, are, that, are, uh, that are out there uh, doing jobs that you wouldn't dream of doing in your, in ever, okay? Those are the people we're killing. They're the people that live in multi-generational households. The kid goes to school, he brings the virus home, he gives it to grandma because grandma watches him after school so that the parent can work a shit job for 10 hours a, 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 a day or 12 hours a day, six days a week, okay? That's America. We have got to get over this idea that that is not America. That is exactly who we are. And so if you have billions of dollars, I'm not joking about this. I don't care about you. If you have accumulated that much wealth, you're, a, you're not a good person. Give it away. No good billionaires. You're, Apple has 400 million to give? No, they don't. They got 4 billion to give. Right. They're, just giving, they're just giving 400 million so they can get a good tax write-off right. and, and be, a good, a, be a good corporate citizen. Right. They, because like corporations are citizens, give me a break, okay, in the state of California where they have created what? Two or 300 billionaires? Great. I don't even know what the number is. That's just, I mean, they've created a bunch of billionaires. Jim. Wonderful. Wonderful. Jim. I just. Tell them how you really feel. I know, man. I knew it. I knew this was going to happen because this was this week. Tell them, tell them how you feel. I need you to wake up. I need you to wake up. I need America to wake up. Wake you, up. You are on one today. The bar barbarians are not at the gate. The barbarians are sitting at dinner with you. You are on one today, Jim. Uh, I'm sorry. This no. I'm sorry. This it's is all a good. step too far. No. When you release, when you want to send, when you want to send your Gestapo into an American city where the mayor and the governor of that state is says we don't need you, and you want to create a riot, we are not America anymore. We're someone else. When you want to send your brown shirts, when you want to include, when you want to encourage your brown shirts used to be brown shirts. Go ahead and look that up. They were called the SA. Right. Okay. When you want to send your brown shirts who now wear MAGA hats, when you want to encourage them to come and counter protest, which just means come and beat the crap out of these peaceful protesters. So you take some heat off my internal security forces. 
that's essentially what that is. Mm -hmm. You are, you're not, you're not, you're a tyrant. That's what you are. And you know what? I don't care. It isn't even, it isn't even Trump. It is Trump. It is Trump. But it's not just Trump. It's this system. It's any president. And that's what needs to change. That is what we've got to wrap our minds around. Right. Trump is, is just a symptom of, of the, of the system itself. Right. Jim. Trump, Trump, it doesn't, it's not that Trump doesn't represent America. Trump is America. Own it. In its most pure form. Jim, Jim, we are, <laughs> we're way we over. Are, we are wildly over. Again. Um, I, I will, My fault. I, My no, fault. no. I, listen, sometimes I just gotta, I just gotta let you go. I just gotta let you go. Uh, you know, I, d- d- not that my answer ma- matters. Uh, you know, I'm no, gonna keep mine short and sweet. No, the, no. Uh, look, the simple answer for me is no on a, you know, on a grand scale level. Sure. Individually, it'll get better for some people. There's some people who are going to rec- just whatever. There's context here. There's nuance here on a large level. No, because guess what, man? I said this at the beginning of the year. Uh, you know, I thought 2020 is going to be a shit show. Let's not forget. We haven't even made it to the main event. <laughs> we haven't even made it to the main event. It has been like, you know, when you played super Mario or you played video Dude. games growing up and you pay, you like, you fought, you yeah. fought the little bosses along the, along the way. Yeah. Bowser yeah. is waiting for us at the end of the castle. We haven't uh, even made it to the shit show, baby. Let's just, let's hold on and let's Aaron, get there together. Aaron, I'm just a, I'm just a squirrel trying to get a nut. Hey, and I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to get it this year, though. I do not know if I'm going to get that yeah, nut this all, year. Yeah, Jeff Bezos has all the damn nuts. That's oh, the problem. Oh, God, man. We, look, uh, look, we are wildly over. Yes, I want to. I wanted to. I wanted to give a couple shout outs this week. I want to give a shout out to Greg. I want to give a yes. shout out to Janelle on on iTunes. He gave us a great review. Shout out to Jeff Brown on Facebook, who gave us another yes. really really Thank good. Thank you, Jeff. Fe- that was really sweet. Really very sweet. very nice feedback. Shout out to Fonda. Shout out to my boy Jacob. Uh, you know who I play with, Call of Duty. Uh, you know he he has been listening to the show. I'm welcoming. I'm I'm excited of this feedback. Um, shout out to Jacob. Shout out to Tatoran Brown. Shout Shout out to all these people that are listening, that are giving us feedback. We appreciate it. We are listening. We are hopeful um, that, you know, more feedback will come in and good, bad, whatever. We we want to grow with you. This is a show that we very much see as interactive. We're looking forward to getting guests in the next few months um, for different types of conversations and to bring perspectives in ways that Jim and I can't bring. So we appreciate you in every single way possible. Jim. Tell the people what your song is this week as we ride this oh, thing out, song, man. Song, do you want to? Are we get? Do you want to do a moment of zen, or do you want to do? Tell a, me your a moment of zen. Cause... I know you had a good one. Tell me your moment of zen. I did, but it's not. I heard the funniest, cleanest, dirty joke I've ever heard. I'm ready. The funniest. Cl- okay, here you go. Let me see if I can clean. I can't clean it up, so I don't care. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get messages. Let's do All it. Right. <clears throat> what did? the uncircumcised man <laughs> say to his girlfriend i i literally have no idea <laughs> this is one hoodie you're not gonna steal oh my god <laughs> you know what you know what lead him out with your song jim <laughs> and on that note i know you've all been let down this is my favorite, 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 favorite English ska slash reggae band. 
toots in the uh, maytals. So we've all been let down, and this is toots being let down. Oh, being let down, man. <laughs> I'm gonna get an ass whooping from my mom for that joke. So thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. As always, I'm Aaron Palat. He's Jim Hina, and this has been good. We hope you enjoyed this episode of this week. Disassembled.